Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Come Get Your Flowers. I'm your host, Deonny Genti. And I got a very special guest in the building. He goes by many names. You got Chief Benedu. Yeah. Bloody Benedu. Yes. Some people call him Chin. Yeah. What, what, what are the nicknames you got, bro? Man, what else? Um, Benedu, um, Chief, Chief Daddy. Chief Daddy. You know what I'm saying? They call me that. Um, I don't know. I got too many names, bro. I get a new one every every other day, man. Yeah. So, yeah. If you don't know who this is, if you're from Houston, you don't know who this is, something wrong with you. This is the one and only <laughs> Chinedu Ohalate is in the building. Chief is in the building. What's good, man? Appreciate you, bro. Appreciate you for having me, man. Of course, of course, man. Like, I've known you for, like, damn near more than a decade, more than probably most of my life, you know what I'm saying? So, like, um, it's really great that I get to talk to you in this format. Um, I feel like this is something that I feel like is overdue. Um, but no matter what, you've always been a part of my journey and vice versa. So I'm just glad that you're here, bro. Nah, and I'm, like I said, man, I'm just glad to support you, bro. You know what I'm saying? I'm just It's easy to support you, bro. So I'm just happy to be here, man. Now, of course. So the first question I have for you, bro, is uh, what is something that you've been feeling as of lately? And it could be anything. It could be a song or artist, a movie, a show, hobby, activity. Which is something you've just been feeling lately? Something I've been feeling lately. Um, I say a song and it's that um, it's ICU. I see. Uh, Coco Jones. Coco Jones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That That joint right there, like you know, I'm a big R&B head. You know what I'm saying? Like, I really, like, like my dad really, like, raised me on R&B. And, you know, everybody gets to talking about, you know, R&B is dead and da 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 And <clears throat> I don't even really think R&B is just flat out just, like, dead. I just think the sound changed. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. The Weeknd and Drake and Frank Ocean, they really changed the sound of it. And Trey Song, they all changed the sound of it. Um, <clears throat> but we all have our favorite little eras. ICU really reminds me of, like, the R&B that I like. Like, it gets, it makes, it's like the, it's one of the few songs out right now that makes me feel something. Yeah. You know? so that's what I've been feeling lately. You know? Yeah, that's what's up. You know, and it's crazy because you're all, you're right. You are R&B head. Like, um, if you do, if you, if I can't ask, uh, tell the audience your go-to karaoke song because uh, I think people will be <laughs> interested to know about that. Yeah. My go-to karaoke song is I Want to Know by Joe. Why, why is that? Why is it every time we go to karaoke with you, that's the go-to song no matter what? Why is that the song? One, it's a song that I feel like I know how to sing. I'm not a singer. I, can't <laughs> I know how to sing totally. Like, I, I sound decent singing it. That's one. Yeah. But two, man, as a kid, that was, like, my favorite song. Like, like growing up, like I said, my dad, like, put us on R&B. That's all he played in the car was, like, R&B and, like, old, like, Ebo High Life and stuff like that. Just High Life music and, you know, just stuff from the, the African diaspora. You know what I'm saying? Um, but, like, Joe is just, it sticks out for me from my childhood. That's probably one of the first songs I knew word for word. Like, that's, to me, like, when I think of the quintessential R&B song, the best way to pin an R&B song from the first verse to the hook to the bridge um, the breakdown, all of it, that that song to me is like it, the best R&B song of all time. Oh, the best R&B song of all time. It has it has all the elements. It has that makes classic R&B. You got your 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 perfect verses. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? You got your dirty macking. Okay. The dirty macking is in there. Joe's a dirty mac king. So you got your yeah. dirty macking. Hey. 
You know what I'm saying? Then you got um you got the classic like little bridge slash breakdown to tell me what I gotta do to, to please you. Please you. you know Maybe like, anything, you, yeah. You can you play that anywhere, <clears throat> it's ringing off. Like it's I remember like I I told Brady uh um uh, hey bro, play this song. He was like, nah, this is not gonna do it. Like, bro, trust me, like I I know R and B, I know, you know, I know it's gonna yeah. be cool. played it. And I slid the the little slider down. Let everybody sing that part of the song. The whole club was singing it. Work. We used to play that song the whole three four minutes in the club. Mm -hmm. Let it run. Like no no. Like that's how we would end all our Thursday nights with that song. And I'd sing it on the mic. Man. You know? Yeah yeah. That's that to me is the the perfect R and B song. Like that's the that's the perfect way to pen a write an R and B song. Is I want to know about Joe. Uh, uh, yeah, absolutely. Like, I mean, you can't go wrong with it. And it's funny because you were talking about just like how people have been saying like R&B is dead. But like you said, the sound has changed. You know, I feel like when I feel like it changed kind of like when The Weeknd came out, you know what I'm saying? You had like The Party Next Doors, the Bryson Tillers and even, you know, going to like even the Summer Walkers and um, even like the Scissors and like R&B, the sounds kind of has changed now. But I feel like when people say R&B is dead, it's like, OK, bro, like. Are you saying that? Be, are you saying that because? Uh, are, wh why are you saying that? Because clearly, like, I feel like people are just not doing their diligence of really looking up. Like, you still got yeah. Ari. You got you still got people that can sing, sing. You got Ari Lennox. You got people like Lucky Day. You got you got a bunch of R and B artists now that can you know go toe to toe. You know, even yeah. I mean, even like Jasmine Sullivan was one, had one of the most successful R and B albums. You know, in the last couple of years. So, no, you know, um, debut album was crazy. You know, what yeah. I think I think what it is, honestly, man, that with social media, one person says something and drives a conversation and other people start pitching in. But those people don't kind of do a lot of like digging and actual real thinking. So like if, let's, if you were to break down R&B, right, a lot of people that make that R&B, that R&B is dead, is speaking to a specific era of mm -hmm. R&B. They're speaking to late 90s, 2000s R&B, right? Yeah, cool. But R&B has gone through a lot of changes. The, the R&B Joe was making, it's not the same R&B Marvin Gaye, Gaye was singing. Or the you know same R&B that New Edition was making. Exactly. It's not the same they was making. And even if you look at, like, when Jodeci and them came around and you get, you know, your new Jack Swing, you know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? You get your Maxwells and your Erica Badus and your, and your um, you know, Jill Scott. You get your D'Angelo's. Yeah. D'Angelo's. Like, like, the Neo Soul don't sound like you know what I'm saying? The even it don't even really sound like '90s R&B. Like Frank Ocean is a son of Neil Soul. You mm -hmm. see what I'm saying? Like, you can see that. So it's like R&B has its subgenres. It has its times where it's it's changed sound, and I feel like people kind of sound like those angry old people that just kind of don't let it change. And yeah. in a way, I think the new sound has things that the old sound didn't necessarily have. Like, one thing I will really, 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 really give to, you know, your Frank Oceans, your Weekends, their penmanship is really, 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 really good. Like, yeah. I mean, like, the way, they, the way they really, like, pen how they feel, the way they, like, like, Frank Ocean's writing sticks out to me more than his actual singing. You see what I'm saying? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So I feel like their writing was a lot more, I would say, for lack of a better term, like poetic. But yeah. I feel like 90s and 2000s R&B, they knew how to write really good songs. They really, they knew how to write hits, if you want yeah, to be exactly, honest. Exactly. They knew how to make hits, but 
this generation is really, they're tapping into real depression. They're tapping into the real, like, emotions. The, the emotions you can kind of get from, you know, the, the pitfalls of a relationship or just life in general. Like, they're really good at conveying that. They may not, you know, do the typical begging music, dirty macking, dirty macking, or the typical like I'm trying to holla at you. Yeah, or or even just like the runs, like the technical stuff that yeah. people like to like the runs during the you know the last chorus and the crazy like duets. But their their penmanship, like their writing, is like like a lot of like for example, in high school, I'm telling my age, but when the weekend came out, I was in high school. Yeah, and um, people didn't know. People thought the weekend was writing about heartbreak. He was writing about drugs. Yeah, and you see what I'm saying? Like exactly. that kind of reminds me, like almost like D'Angelo. Like there was just certain right there. The writing was just so good that even people just automatically thought they were talking about. Like I remember when Pretty Wings by Maxwell came out, and, and people thought it was a love song. song. It's a breakup song. Like that's they get their they get their writing from kind of like that neo soul kind of genre. But if you go back to like the what we ter- term as classic R and B. They knew how to make hits. They would have an album, 12 songs would be hits. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so it's just a different era, different time, different sound. But I think they can all be appreciated for what they give and what they do. There's certain things that this new era does writing-wise that, you know, I'm not taking anything from, like, the old hits. Like, they wrote songs well. But, like, okay, like, for example, like, if you listen to Boys to Men. Yeah. Boys to Men kind of really structured a lot of their songs the very same way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They came in, you know, opening verse, singing, the begging, the bridge, and then on the bridge, oh, dude, just get on there and just start talking, like you know, baby, yeah, I'm so yeah, Exactly. You know, they really structured it the same. These these new people, like they they, it's more raw. It's more I can't explain it, but everything. It's everything more freedom is, to kind of like yeah. go. It's free, yeah, there's a lot of free 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 form writing right now going on in the music and and what's going on, and so it's like. It's like everybody has their place, you know what I'm saying? If I want to listen to that kind of old R&B, bro, Charlie Wilson still makes music to this day. I listen exactly. to some to this day. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, it's there. They're still making music. Yeah. There's new people making music and there's new people making different sound in music. You know what I'm saying? And I think it's it's there's a lane for everybody to eat. And so, yeah. No, absolutely. Um so it's, going into R&B too, I had this little debate. I had this debate with my girlfriend. She was, she was very, she was very, she disagreed heavily on what I was saying, but I was just looking at it in terms of recent years. And I feel like, although R&B is not dead, uh, I feel like, in my opinion, it may not be as popular as it once was. And I feel like there's a genre in music that has overtaken R&B as like the second most popular genre uh besides rap and i feel like in my in recent years and this is maybe a hot take i believe it's afrobeats i feel like afrobeats in recent years i'll take you one up you said it's the second best genre afrobeats is the best genre in the world right now oh hey i wouldn't disagree with that either yeah afrobeats is the best genre in the world right now hands down there's not a i mean and the reason why i say that so like you know you know I me mean? like I MC from time to time of course so when I'm in the club and I, I I get to see the reaction like when I'm at parties clubs events I see the reaction to people's music and you know what gets the the parties events moving right now is two is two types of music I'll give it three three it's the classic R and B that we were discussing mm-hmm. it's the um 
2000s hip hop, mm -hmm. Afro beats. Interesting. That's it. Rap of today is not, and the reason why, and I'm not saying that like on some old head shit, like, oh my yeah. God, rap is no boo. Hmm, it sucks. Nah. I'm saying it on some, the BPMs of today's music is a lot slower than in the past. So, like, for example, um, What's that um twenty one seven song? I'm on that slot of gang shit. Uh, uh wait, are you talking about not the rich flex, but his the other one, the other other yeah, song? Yeah, yeah, nah, he's one yeah. Off, of, off his first first or second mixtape. Yeah, I know um, what you're talking about. I forgot the name of the song. Yeah. I gotta look when, it up. When you when you hear it, you think, oh, this is like this is gonna be a banger, like a crazy trap joining the club. But if you, but a lot of twenty ones music, it's it's. They're bangers, but they're slow bangers. Like they're not mm -hmm. the red ops. Yeah, red ops. There we go. The BPM is not as fast as you would think it is. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? There's R and B songs. There's like so caught up is probably faster than red ops as a song. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so a lot of the rappers now, the beat, their music, like I said, when the weekend and Drake and them were doing their thing, like heavy, like take care era, they changed the sound of music forever. You know what I'm saying? Mm. The music is now BPM is slower, it's darker, yeah, it's more eerie sounding. You see what I'm saying? So yeah, exactly. Sound like it's party music. It's really not party music. You see yeah. what I'm saying? Um, but Afro beats is the music that, like, you know, we're Nigerian, bro. We we party till five a.m. at our weddings. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah, so, listening to the stuff as kids. Exactly, as kids. So. It's all party music. Now, one thing Nigerians are gonna do, they're gonna dance and they all party. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, it's, it's, that's Africans in general. It's it's party music. They love we we love to dance, we love to have fun. So our music reflects that. Even even like the songs that are like depressing, like Collateral Damage by Burning. Oh Burn. yeah, very depressing. Depressing song. That guitar on that on that thing when, in the beginning is beautiful. And this, exactly, and it's, it's it's beautiful and it and like it can pick up a mood. But it's it's actually a sad song. Last no, last, it it's a, it's a heartbreak. It's a breakup song, but it was a song of the summer last year. Exactly. So, Afro beats is it gets the people moving. It's 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 what makes people dance, and so that's why it's so good because it bring it brings back. I think every music, every type of music has a feeling, but they're just there's a joyous feeling that you get when Afro beats comes on. It's a yeah. it makes people happy. A lot of this. Uh, music coming out now is more eerie. I think it's more eerie because it's like, just to keep it real, a lot of it is murder music. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Like a lot of this music, you know, a lot of these rappers have real life situations going on, and a lot of their music careers kind of stem from them dissing, you know, their ops, and they they're not gonna diss them over no really like uplifting beat. I, I know, like even if you listen to Enright Drill, like you know, they're they're like sampling like classic. 2000 songs awesome. it's real eerie like it's, yeah it's still an eerie sound and that's what rap is right now that's that's where rap has kind of or the mainstay of rap is where it's kind of taking itself and they're all talented nothing to say anything like they're not i'm a fan of it but i just think if you want that more happy feeling you get when you're at a party and how we used to see our parents dancing at 4 or 5 a.m. You're going to get that with Afrobeats. And that's why I feel like Afrobeats is the best genre, hands down. It's producing the best music. It's producing um, some of the best talent, some of the best, like, I don't know, like, just flows, melodies. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just, 
they're going crazy right now. Like people, like it's it's like it's recent years. It's been it's been growing and growing. Like I mean, we get to the point where, you know, I mean, here's the thing, like. Like American artists have always hopped on Afrobeats. If you go back to like Rick Ross and even like some other people, even I feel like Wale kind of brought it into the into that sense as well. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it's like now we got people like Selena Gomez hopping on beats. You know, we got you know rappers are getting more comfortable. Twenty One Savage was just on the Afro, you know, on Peru the remix. You know what I'm saying? And like if you look at it too, just like it's not more acceptable. You know, like back then you would never hear any Afrobeat song on the radio. There's no disrespect, but that's just what it was. But now, like, it's getting to the point where, like, it's it's comfortable, like, it's normal now. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, I'm on the radio. I'm turning 97 on the box, and I'm hearing I'm hearing whiskey. I'm hearing Tim's. I'm hearing Rema. Yeah, I wasn't. That's how it was. It wasn't like that when we were growing up. You know? Yeah, yeah. So it's like the fact that we're getting to the point where, like, Afrobeats, like, is so acceptable in every medium. Not even just clubs. Like, if you just even going on TikTok, like, you yeah. you can scroll through TikTok. You like probably one of the first ten TikToks is on a under an Afrobeat song or like an instrumentation of it. You know what yeah, I mean? Like it's normalized. Like I remember the very first time I heard an Afrobeat song in a movie was um, I, uh, was it? It was a Monique movie. Um, mm. I don't, I, I don't remember. I don't know if it was. I forgot. It was a movie about her marrying some like Nigerian dude. And the oh, song he had in it was uh it was Two Faces um um African Queen. Really? I remember, yeah, I watched that when I was a kid with my dad, and I was like, oh my god, like that's the song we danced to at parties. Like that's crazy. Like yeah, this here, and I, I seen it in theaters, and they were the early first one. When it, of course, probably because it was a Nigerian in the movie, but mm -hmm. it was just like wow, that's crazy. That was a very I remember that blew my mind. But like now, I can go anywhere. Like I was Any, just out of anywhere. Anyway, I just I was just at a tech mixer the other day, and the DJ got his Afro beats back. I was kind of stunned, and I was yeah. like, "But now it's kind of a prerequisite. Like, you know, if you really want to be a good DJ in any like popper, I mean, a uh, pop in like area, you got to have a little bit of an Afro beats bag to get the party jumping. That's what people are dancing to. Yeah, you know? it's kind of crazy how that goes. It's crazy, like the music that we was listening to, like back then or even now, like it's like it's one of it's I like I, I agree. I would I wouldn't argue if it's not the mo it is the most popular genre, honestly, because um that's why I've always heard. Um, and I feel like when you look at when you look at Afrobeast, um, it's kind of like you know how rap they look at Drake, Kendrick Cole. That's that's the holy trinity, I guess you could say, of that era. I feel like you gotta look at Burner Boy, Wizkid, and Davido as um. That's that trinity. I feel like there were, even though, yes, we had your P-squares, you had your flavors, your Two-Face, all, all those people, right? And with much respect, clearly, because without them, these guys wouldn't be here either. Even going back to, you know, Fela Kuti, you know, like, you got to pay respect to those guys as well. But when you talk about when they, when you ushered in, when you talk about people that ushered in to, to the point where it's at a mainstream level, a national, a international level, it's not just... Where they at is also in America and it's commonly in America. You gotta look at those three. Those three have produced some of the biggest Afrobeast hits of our time. Like Burner Boy sold out Madison Square Garden. <laughs> like I can't imagine, you know what I'm saying? Madison Square Garden. Like you couldn't think of that even 10 years ago. Yeah, no, nah, for sure. Couldn't. So man, half hats off to hats off to all the artists that are making noise, man. It's Cause it's Burner it's Boy. Burner Boy's going crazy. I can't lie. Like, I can't lie. That's my favorite artist right now. Like, he can't like, miss. He's in my top five all time artists ever. Wow. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
he's in my top five all time artists ever. That's how I, that, like I don't know. He just like I just remember like I don't know like I remember where I was when I first seen Tonight, and mm-hmm. I was like, that's how I started, you know. But when that Outside album came out, yeah, man, that was, that changed it. I was locked in, locked in. Like I had a pretty, like I said, like I was a fan of Afro beats. But I don't, I don't want to say. Well, my favorite has always been Flavor, but he's not. Yeah. I would have recently put him just after. He's like, you know, high life or whatever. But exactly, he was my favorite Nigerian artist. But like, yeah. Burner Boy quickly like became my top five all time after mm-hmm. Outside. After Outside came out, I was like, yeah, Burner Boy, we we for sure locked in. Like we, mm-hmm. we locked in, locked in. So yeah, all time favorite. Yeah, man. I mean, I can't believe we just went into a whole spill about Afrobeats, but that's just how much we we love um, our who, where we're from in our culture. So, uh, but moving forward, moving on. Growing up in like you grew up in Southeast Houston, clearly. So, uh, what were some of the earliest childhood memories that you have growing up in their area? Yeah, man. So my early childhood, I grew up in Southeast Houston. Um, then I moved over to Sugarland, and um. I think my early memories just growing up in Southeast Houston was like just very Houston, you know. Um, I grew up there around the time when like Wanna Be a Baller came out, Top yeah. Drop, um, when uh, the Mad Hatter song came out. So like I grew up in a very like Houston time period and just everything about me. Like, you know, everybody always says I'm so Houston out, but you know, that's the kind of era I came up in on the side of town, like, you know, southeast side of town, that's your South Park, your Third Ward, your Yellowstone, you know what I'm saying? So I came up where the SUC was coming out of, you know what I'm saying? So that's kind of where I think my Super Houston came up, especially I grew up in, like, a very Hispanic area, too. And if you know anything about, like, Hispanic Houstonians, they're very Houstonian, you know what I'm saying? They love their their SUC, they love their slabs. And and they love to say the N-word. But anyways, that I digress, I digress. <laughs> Yeah, but they're they're very 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 used to stuff. So I grew up um, in that, and so I, I guess some of my early memories, man, was um, let's see, going skating at um, I'll meet a skating rink. Yeah, uh, that's my very first time before I moved over to Sugarland and started going to Funplex and skating over there. And um, what else, man? Um, trick or treating. I had a weird experience trick or treating because we grew up in the apartment, so. We, you know, we couldn't really go trick or treat in the apartment, so we, we had to go park inside another neighborhood and go trick or treat in other people's neighborhood. And so I was a silver Power Ranger. I remember that. <laughs> hey, I was a huge Power Rangers fan. Like, I'm embarrassed to tell y'all when I stopped watching Power Rangers type fan. Like, I was really like, I was locked. Hey, I'm just gonna say, Power Rangers is goaded. Like, yeah, that's not that's not the bad. I don't think I stopped watching Power Rangers so maybe like. Middle school, maybe freshman year high school. Like I was super locked in the Power Rangers like that. Like of Power Rangers, yeah, I was locked in. So now, I, I wait, wait. Well, time year. out. What's your favorite era of Power Rangers? Which one? Which one's the best era? Okay, Mighty Morphin is my favorite. The best era of Power Rangers, though, in my humble opinion, Ninja Storm. Ooh. Ninja Storm, my favorite, like because childhood Mighty Morphin, Ninja Storm has the best storyline. It's the best. It's the, I mean, it's like, it's Ninja Storm was my favorite thing. It was like, it was a mix of Power Rangers. I really like martial arts. So a mix of like, you know, the whole ninja background, all that kind of stuff. Like it was a mix of my, and the storyline was just great. It was great. So yeah. Okay. 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 Yeah, man. Eating Shipley's for the first time. 
Um, yeah, man, just have a lot. Of, I have a lot of memories growing up as a kid out there. So yeah. No, nah, most definitely, most definitely. Um, so you know, obviously, you, you grew up, you know, on that era of like, you know, screwed up click. You know, want to be a baller came out, all these other things. Um, and if I'm not mistaken, you are the oldest in your family, right? Yeah. You are the oldest in your family. And, you know, in Nigerian households, like being the oldest is like your first job ever. That's yeah. literally your first job ever. And I think that's something that I can relate with you. Like, you know, me being the oldest as well, like that is literally your first job. You're basically a second parent. So yeah. like having to watch your younger siblings while also trying to exceed expectations that your parents put on you to succeed. What was that like experience like for you? Man, like, I'm glad you brought it up. So like, even just speaking out, like, so like, for example, I moved over to Sugarland when I was like eight mm -hmm. because I was first born and everything. Like I grew up really fast. So like, I really felt like I was 13 years old when I was eight, you know what I'm saying? Just being like, like, for example, like I remember like, I mean, I'm grown now, so CPS is not going to do nothing, but I remember like staying <laughs> home and like, and like in, a, in my apartment was like in the middle of the hood, you know what I'm saying? And I remember staying home, like watching my brother and sister at the age of like, I'm not gonna cap, maybe like five, six, like yeah. I'm alone. And my parents were all the way on like on the southwest part, you know what I'm saying? Of the town. And like, and that's nothing like I don't want nobody to take it like, oh my god, his parents are bad. But it's just like, you know, like in Nigeria, like you, you know, like kids, they learn how to be independent really fast. Like, you feel mm -hmm. me? Like, like a lot of like different little minute things that you think are just normal you see that like in other like when you go outside of your house it's like huh like for example like i have been doing my parents laundry forever ironing clothes i used to iron my mom's clothes before she used to go to work oh wow um, you know what i'm saying and then like you meet other kids and they don't know how to iron or they don't know how to cook themselves their own meal like just little things like that and you're like oh wow like i've been doing this since forever you know what i'm saying i've been doing laundry since I don't know, maybe eight years old. You know what I'm saying? Like, so it's like, but that's also how they grow up. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? They, they're six years old. You can you go to the village and six year olds are roaming the village, getting water, getting all types of maybe like going to the market, buying stuff for their parents. So I don't even want to make it sound like my parents just would just dry abandon me. It just of course not. Kind of you know, that's just how they grew up. They grew up very independent. You know. And, grew up very fast and that's kind of how I was kind of conditioned my siblings were kind of conditioned and I was conditioned to do the same I was babysitting kids at like 11 like you know people would come to, to our house over here like and they would drop off like like Ugona and Kalechi and them yeah since I was a kid I was probably like six I've been babysitting them like our parents yeah. would go to parties together I need to be at Ugona's house if if his older cousin wasn't there to watch us like he had an older cousin named Sam at the time they watch us or they come to, you know, my crib, and I'm like 8, 10, maybe 11, and I'm watching the kids, you know what I'm saying? I'm making sure everybody eat. I'm making sure the house is clean, you know what I'm saying? So we, it just kind of, you grow up very, 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 very fast. Um, so I think being a, but being a firstborn, like, to go back to what you said, and expectations, um, I think it's tough. It is. Tough. Like, I wrestled, like like I said, since I was a kid, I'd always been asked, which, what are you going to be when you grow up? You have a lot of responsibility when you get older to the um what you would call it like you know you have a you have a duty to this family not just this family but extended family and and all types of stuff growing up and so it kind of put this like i think it puts this like kind of like unnecessary pressure, pressure yeah yeah to like that i can't fail and yeah. if you fail but if you, not even fail because 
I don't even like using that term, but like quote unquote, if you fail and you, really or if you fail, don't meet your parents' expectations, yeah, you, you feel like man, I'm really failing. I, I'm supposed to have had the family on my back by this time. I'm supposed to have break the generational curse or whatever. Yeah, exactly. So it gets a little. It gets, it's 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 high expectations to meet for sure, and then like, it could be easy to beat yourself now if you feel like you don't meet those. Yeah, or you're not good enough. <laughs> and also, too, when you have younger siblings, it's almost like, dang, they're looking up to you to, like, kind of figure it out for, for everybody else to follow. So, like, mm -hmm. if you even do something that even um, slightly uh, your parents disagree with, it's almost like you let us all down. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. and that's, and you know, it's almost like they guilt trip you, make you feel bad, you know, regardless of what decision you make. I could, you know, I remember when... Um, when I first went to SFA, I was gonna, you know, be a pharmacist. I thought I was gonna be, you know, I, you know, I thought I was gonna be a pharmacist. I thought I was gonna, I majored in biology and stuff like that. You know, that's mostly what my parents wanted me to do. So, you know, I thought that's what the case would be. And then uh, when I didn't, and I changed my major, you know, it was almost like, you know, what are you doing? You know what I mean? So like, I was like, well, okay, I can go into law. So, cause that was my second option, and low key, that's kind of what my parents wanted me to do as well. And I told him, oh, I'm gonna do law, but I'm gonna major in creative writing. And they was like, no, why would you want to major in creative writing? That's nonsense. You know what I'm saying? Even though, like, to be honest, it doesn't really matter what you major in law as long as you pass your LSAT. So it's really like it didn't really matter, but they wanted me to have some of that prestige, like political science. So I decided to do that. And you know, and much respect to my parents. And then, I mean, because we obviously we love our parents and the sacrifice that they made for us to, in order for you know us to be here and succeed. But it's like when you're in college, man, it's like you gotta make the decisions yourself, man. You gotta make sure you make decisions that is gonna make you happy. That's gonna make you um, satisfied with your college experience because it's more it's it's more than just going to school and studying. Because that's what I thought I was gonna do. First two years, I was gonna go to school, study, 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 and it didn't even end up working out for me. Um, so I had to really think about what really mattered to me most uh and there was a more it was more than just you know getting the grades you know what i mean and just trying to be a doctor or a lawyer or a pharmacist whatever the case may be so like it's almost like when you don't do that it's almost like they don't they look at you as a failure and they move on to you like your younger siblings to make yeah. sure okay you're gonna get us out of here then yeah. you know what's crazy like i'm trying to figure out how to word this so i had a revelation maybe a few years ago where I kind of realized everything. And I think the way we feel, and this is probably going to be a hot take, and the way they feel, I see both sides. And the reason why I say I see both sides mm. is this, is that we're a generation of, we saw a generation before us not live happy lives, not feel fulfilled. We're the gen more of the generation, like we ask a lot of why. Like we're still like, why do things have to be this way? Why does it like this? I want to create my own reality for myself. Um, and so we felt like, okay, you know, we're going to do lead with our passion and our interests. Um, but I've come to find out like in the kind of world, the kind of systems that we live in, when your day-to-day -day job is what makes it breaks. If you have food on the table at night, it can still be hard to, you can end up, end up hating your passion and your interest because it's what's feeding you. You yeah. know what I'm saying? And so to, to go back on what they were saying was that I realized that our parents didn't know how to communicate well. They oh, didn't know my how God. To, they didn't have that, that, that skill of like, basically, basically what they were trying to say was like, look, we have struggled in this country. We know the, the, we know the career paths that it could take to maybe make life a little bit more easier for you. And I'm just going to say like, 
you know, if, if you're like a civil engineer, you, you're not going to live like like Bezos or nothing like that, you know, mm -hmm. but you might be, be comfortable or a little bit more comfortable than maybe the next person would. And what they were trying to say was like, man, look, life is hard. Like, like, you know, my mom, like she, when, when we were living over there before she had me, she was working at KFC, working at Wendy's. Yeah. Ended up, she was selling Mary Kay out her trunk. When we moved over here, Trina, she was a substitute teacher. Um, she had to go to school. She was struggling, trying to go to school. Ended up working two jobs as a respiratory therapist. You know what I'm saying? And then mm -hmm. ended up doing her own business. And now she's doing really well for herself. Of course. But I think I could say that she's she done struggled most of her life to make ends and to meet just not even just for herself, but to figure it out for her kids. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so there, my mom wasn't a doctor. My mom wasn't an engineer. My dad was an engineer, but my mom wasn't no like. But even my dad being an engineer, he wasn't one of the like high engineer he's a civil engineer you know what i'm saying and so um you know um they are seeing people maybe who are doctors and lawyers and and accountants you know or, or working in financial firms making big crazy bucks and they're like okay this is how my kids are gonna survive and they just want us to live and survive because they went through hardship you know like walking in the hood at midnight after a night after a shift at, at the at the um and on your local fast food spot yeah. But they didn't know how to word that to us. Like, hey, look, like if they had told us, like, look, I know you have passions. I want you to follow your passion. Um, what about maybe getting a degree that's going to make you some bread, but you can still follow your passion on the side? I think a lot of us would have took heed to that because we see a lot of kids doing that now. Like, take Brady, for example. Mm -hmm. Brady, um, he majored in computer science, software engineer, DJ on the side. You know what I'm saying? Um I've seen people who are rappers and are program managers, you know yeah. what I mean? And so it's like, people are like, okay, cool. I can, I can go do something that's going to put food on the table that I don't have to worry. You know, I could be a little bit more comfortable than the next man. I could have that comfort, that privilege, and I can still try to pursue what I really want to do. Like my sister, it's a great example. Oh my yeah, sister, absolutely. You know, software engineer, graphic designer, artist, uh, now she's a she owns a clothing brand. You know what exactly, I'm saying? Exactly. Like, yeah. Full time creative while also being a full time, you know, Software corporate. Team. Team. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And I think if our parents had kind of, I think we were had this rebellious spirit, rightfully so. Someone's telling you you can't do what you want to do in life, and you're seeing someone who you watch struggle all your life, and you're like, I don't want to. What you do don't seem fun. It doesn't even seem like fulfilling. Mm -hmm. And I just think there was a breakdown in communication. And I think that they told us, like, I want you to enjoy life and I want you to do what you want to do, but I also want you to be safe and be comfortable. Is there a way we can do both? I think I think a lot of us would have been like, oh, OK, bet. I hear you. But we had that rebellious spirit, rightfully so. And and now that I'm older, I kind of see like ah, I see the both sides of it. I don't think anybody was necessarily. I think they were wrong in their delivery and we responded to how they delivered it. You know, but if it had if it had been delivered differently, I think I think we would have been more receptive to the advice. Mm. Yeah. yeah, no, that puts a lot of things in perspective for sure. So let's you know, obviously, you grew up in uh, Southeast Houston. You know, you moved to Sugarland. And then obviously you go to University of Houston, where I feel like uh, a lot of the people that you met there has really become 
like much of your family, not even just your friend, but your family. Yeah. Like, talk to me about your experience at U of H and like the people that you met that you continue to, you know, kind of bond with and just become a family with. Man, um, let's see. That's that's a good one. Um, so moving going to UH was basically like a return to like the Southeast South for me, and um, I really fell in love with Third Ward. Like, I consider like Third Ward like a third home. You know, um, I really like to the point I kind of want to buy a house over there one one day. That's I really love that side of town. Um, lots of culture, um, a lot of really dope people. Um, and it, it was just it was just cool to be around. And so going to UH was a really, really cool experience. Um, I really grew up a lot. Um, I really um went through a lot of stuff, kind of really had to I really tapped into myself more. I was kind of freer from my parents um, being in the house. So got to ask a lot of questions to myself that I maybe was scared to ask just being in the house, you know? And um, I met a lot of cool people, joined a fraternity. And um, I think my, my fraternity has brought me a lot of like lifelong, it's a brotherhood, you know, I'll say brotherhood, yeah. like just lifelong brotherhood, but also just through my extracurriculars in college and through some of the people I met in college, I ended up meeting people that I got, um, that I'm real close to, to this day, you know what I'm saying? Um, and so I, I really got a, a real love for U of H, um, cause it's really brought me a lot of important people in my life. Um, it's really, it's really, it's, it's broken my heart. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's, yeah. it's, uh, it's, uh, <laughs> also a lot of love you know what i'm saying i have a real community from uh a real people who like you know i may not even talk to every day every month every year but you know we locked in to the point like especially the homecomings you know them homecomings is like man it's a, re it's a family reunion for real and it's just like i love uh i love the community of uh i just love being around uh it's, um I, I really, really love, love, love the, the black community and the community over there that I've built at UH. So, um, yeah, man, UH is, UH is, has taught me a lot, exposed me to a lot, um, able to come around a lot of just different types of backgrounds and experiences. And so I really, really value my time over there. I consider that some of the best and the worst times of my life, but I really, I really value it, value it over there for sure. And you know, it's crazy. You talk about, you know, you talked about earlier about Third Ward and you've, you stayed in, um, you know, your experiences with, you know, being around Third Ward, you know, so infatuated with just like that neighborhood, that area. Um, and like, I've seen like, obviously we've seen like a lot, we're, we're both, you know, we're from here, you know what I'm saying? So like, we've seen a lot of people move here a lot of people wanted to come to Houston now and, you know, I guess be a part of this, the culture and be a part of the city. But obviously with that, like has come with a lot of uh, gentrification that's happened in the third yeah. ward. And I know you've, you've talked about it from time to time on the internet and stuff like that, but like, can you just, uh, as much as you can, I know you're not, you know, you're not, you obviously you're not like a, you know, obviously you don't, uh, you're not like a professor about it and all this other yeah. stuff, but you know enough to like speak on it because you've been there, you live in Houston yeah. and things of that nature. So like, talk about like how you feel like that has negatively affected like, you know, Third Ward or even just areas uh, where it has been, you know, surrounded with minorities. Yeah. Um, man, I feel like 
whenever I, I I go back over there and I drive through it, you know, whether I'm going for a homecoming or I just, you know, I haven't had food from the chicken spot in a long time and I want to go get some, I'm like, damn, like, this place is different. Like, every time I go back, it's like, it was not like this before. Yeah. And I think, I think what, what, like, what, so for example, I was watching, I seen a news clip of some people complaining about noise complaints. Um, the gas station right by the address. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And they were like, man, it gets loud. Da, 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 da. But bro, if, you, if you're from Houston, like, you know about Slab Sundays. You know what exactly. I'm saying? Exactly. And that gas station. McGregor Park, man, too. Yeah. Right by McGregor Park. You drive over there, it's slabbed out. You know what I'm saying? I remember, I'm going to tell you a crazy story. I remember um, being at UH. Randomly, I get on Twitter and all the sorority, we had this sorority and fraternity housing called Bayou Oaks, where people yeah. get all the sororities, the, the white sororities and fraternities had their houses because nobody else had any houses but them. Um, but um, they were all crying on Twitter, talking about need, needing to evacuate, that there were some chain message talk sending out about a blood initiation to go and kill all the sorority girls on campus. Now, like, one, if you know anything, ain't no blood's doing that. Like, <laughs> nah, not you know what I'm saying? That's not how they initiate themselves. You know what I mean? Anybody gonna go out there and just dry kill some sorority girls and okay, you you blood now. Like, that's not how that. That's not how that works. That's number one. Yeah. Number two, what it ended up being, bro, was that it was McGregor Park on a Sunday. The red line boys that came through deep to McGregor. Southside red line. The girls seen a, a line of red cars and their racist ass was like, oh, this is a, a blood initiation. I think they're coming to kill us. And that's the that's what I would say is the issue with gentrification. Is that you have an area who has created a culture, who has created there's so much history, rich <laughs> history that comes out of Third War. Rich history. Um, and people who have built culture um from this area um, and just from that side of town in general, like a lot of people don't know how much music history and how much the Southeast Houston has influenced music in general and how much a lot of that was from Third War. And and um, just like a rich history and why people come and move in and um, try to change it and try and dictate it. And I think it's, it's, it's evil for a lot of reasons. One, you know, we're Nigerian. So when I go back home to Nigeria, right, nobody tells, nobody calls me a guest. You know what they exactly. say when, I, when I'm in the village, they say, welcome home. Exactly. I welcome home. And whenever <laughs> I'm there, they, they always tell me, hey, like, you know, you're Nigerian. Like, you're not American. Like, I don't care if you were born over there. I don't care how long you lived over there. This is your home. Like you need to know this is the this is the house where your grandpa stayed in. This is your your you know your father's land that you're gonna inherit. This is where we you know you know they teach me a lot about family history and how you know our connection to the village and just to the land and period. You know what I'm exactly. Saying? Um, and I remember when I went over there a couple of years ago, I had I had thought and I was like you know. There's a funny thing here that black people do here is it's always like, you know, let's take Pierland, for example. So a lot of people from like the Southeast side, like from like South Park, move from South Park to Pierland when they get some money or when they just want to maybe go to a better area. 
Of course. And the kids there would be like, oh, you know, I'm from South Park. And somebody else would be like, oh, but you ain't go to high school in South Park. You're not from South Park. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Or somebody, let's say like Travis Scott, for example. Travis Scott lived, a lot of people don't know, Travis Scott grew up a little bit in Sunnyside to like, yeah. I don't know what, like six, five or something like that. That's a fact. His grandma stay over there. So, you know, a lot of black people during the summertime, they go stay with their grandma or, you know, maybe their grandma raised them for a little bit. And, you know, grandma's house is home. Grandma, Grandma's house and seeing two, three, four generations come through that house. Exactly. Yeah. And that's that's their that's their village. That's their history. And have, exactly. And so I, I made a connection like, man, like I think it's just crazy how like here in America. It's very like, oh, no, you ain't go to high school here. You're not from here. Or, you know, people are very territorial about where someone can call home. And it's like, I feel like if someone's lived there and they feel like that place is home, or even if they didn't even live there, like, for example, like, a lot of people don't know this, but um, I used to spend a lot of summers out in Galveston. Yeah. My uncle used to live out there. So I used to go stay with him for like a month or so every uh, every summer up until like high school. So I know Galveston like the back of my hand. That's like a, a third, fourth home for me. Like, there's a lot of places in the Texas area that's like, man, I know this place for real. Like, I used to be all, over, all through up here, you know? So mm-hmm. I say that to say, like, I think it's crazy how they don't consider that home versus over here in Nigeria. They're like, I don't care how where you're born and this is your home. I don't care if you lived in Australia for 20 years and this is your first time in the village. This is your home. Yeah. And so I had to say that, like, grandma's house is home. And what gentrification does is it takes away home for yeah. a lot of these people. And a lot of the, that's where like that's a major family landmark for a lot of these people. And yeah. it takes them away from them. It takes and, away the home. It erases the history. Erases the legacy. Exactly. And what's really, what's really kind of grinds my gears is, I wish sometimes, I wish a certain group of people. I wish, I wish money didn't mean a lot. Mm. You know, I wish. Well, the reason why I say that is because there's a certain group of people where, you know, investors, real estate people, whatever you want to call them, and they do this thing where I'm, I'm buying back the block. I'm buying back the block, but they're not buying back the block. Like you, nah. when, you when you buy a, a little shotgun house in third ward, you fix it up, you turn it into an Airbnb property or you flip it to something else. You're now raising a property value that somebody that your neighbor can't afford. Exactly. Now, they can't afford a property value. You push them out. Maybe their kids, their nieces, I mean, their, you know, grandkids can't afford it. And now there's a such thing that, you know, if you can, someone explain it to me, where you, if you, let's say somebody passes and they have property taxes that's been unpaid, you go put payments on that. You can work towards owning that house. Mm-hmm. And now you take away someone's history because of profit and because you want to be rich. And a lot of people, they don't go to the suburbs and, and, or not even just the suburbs, because there's black, there's black communities in the suburbs, but they're yeah. not even going to like, you know, they're not even going to just, you know, maybe other communities or their own communities and buying homes in their communities and flipping them. Nah, because they don't really have the capital to do that. They're going to go somewhere where they can get something real quick for the low, flip it to a crazy amount. And in turn, they end up raising the, raising the price. I remember my friend, um, we were in third ward doing a barbecue for her birthday, Mita's birthday. Yeah. There was a neighbor down the street. They just said, built like some obnoxious house over there. And a lot of the neighbors were upset with him and just they didn't like him in general and just just what he did over there. And I don't think sometimes people think like, oh, that's just how life goes, but it's like 
life don't have to just go like that. Like we we're free will. We have choice. We should care about our next next of kin and just who's next to us. Like we should really care about community. And I think a place like their ward has such a great community. Like it's such a community based place where a lot of history and stuff comes from and just, you know, people like I had a homie like over here in Sugarland who his mama, you know, moved out of um moved out of their house in South Park, but they still had the house. And so he was his mom was like, yo, look, if you want to leave your daddy's spot, you can come to the hood and come stay over here and I'm I'll go to Peerland. I got a house in Peerland. You can, this this could be yours. He went and stayed in South Park by himself. It's but it's like having mama's house or having granny's house to do something like that kind of okay maybe the mortgage is the mortgage is paid off you yeah. know i gotta do the property tax on this john till i get on my feet or you know do something with it you could do that I, and we I've, I've seen it within my own fraternity to where like okay man we need a frat house okay well bet well such and such mama got a crib over here that they got we can use it to do our meetings and whatever we need to we want to do a party whatever we want to do yeah, go ahead and do it. You see what I'm saying? And it just it, it helps make life easier for each other within the community. And I just think gentrification just really it ruins lives. It ruins it lives. Everybody's pockets richer, but it really ruins lives. And I, I hate it. And it's to the point sometimes, like, you know, when I want to get my own house, I thought very meticulously about where I want to live. And I know I want to live one where there's a a very deep black community. That's mm-hmm. important to me. Um um, and, uh, you know, if I, if I end up having kids in that house, they can go to school, people that look like them and be surrounded by a community that loves them. And one community that sticks out to me is like, you know, you know, there's, there's a good size third ward. This is, you know, the more lower income areas of third ward, but yeah. uh, it's a war, you know, but what, what makes me second guess it is like, am I contributing to gentrification if I move in here? Am I, yeah. If I move in here, is this community even still going to be black? You know what exactly, I'm saying? Nah. Even when I was in school there, like we would see, you can go to Third World right now, go down on Meta. You're seeing white people running all up, all up and down on Meta. 100%. You know, you know, and that's just like, I don't know, man. I just, I'm just, I'm just not a big fan of black people use, losing their communities. I feel like if anything, the governments and city officials, like if you see how Almeda looks today. Like it's, you would think you're walking down the the Hollywood star of fame. Yeah, you think you're being and, Haiti. Yeah, and if you grew up in Houston, Almeda was like a notorious street. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So it's kind of like it's crazy because it's like, damn, like I wish city officials could pour into these communities and make black communities livable for black people, but it takes gentrification and and maybe some businesses and money coming in to finally want to spruce up areas and and do better for areas, but it's like, why yeah. can't that be better? Instead of investing in like the people that are in there, you yeah. invested in like ways to like push them out. And now they don't have a home, they don't have a legacy, they don't have a history in there no more. Exactly, like I think about, you know, there's a new Jack Yates, you know what I'm saying? I think that's, they needed to, they needed to be a renovated new Jack Yates. And I think that's great. But then the cynical part of me, I always ask like, you know, was there other reasons for building that? With gentrification mm-hmm. going on? Do they need did they needed a new, more, you know, beautified school? Or did they need like more resources that the you know kids could obtain to like be more successful? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like exactly. getting new books, you know, getting new technology and all that stuff. And that's the thing where it comes to these communities. A lot of these um 
of black and brown communities, man, is really just the lack of resources and the lack of access. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because yeah. it's like, it's like everybody's like, well, you know, you need to you need to vote and you know, you know, talk to your elected officials. There's people I've talked to in like South Park and Acres Home, and they said, listen, we've done that for many years, and you yeah. guys don't show up. You know, yeah. I've I've seen aunties, moms, grandmas, they will they're they're in the front lines trying to call elected officials. We need this, we need that. But yeah. they don't they don't go and respond to them. They'll rather go respond to downtown, go respond to uh Katie, go yeah. respond to Memorial City. What was going on on Fifth Ward? Where yeah. people has been complaining for years about environmental racism that's been causing cancer. Oh yes. Absolutely. That area in Fifth Ward, so many people have been dying from cancer and they come to find out that it was coming from a chemical plant that was dumping stuff into the water and people were getting sick and dying from that. Mm -hmm. And they've been complaining for years. They're just now about to do a lawsuit, but it's like they've been complaining for years. Yes. Like that environmental racism over there is rude. Think about the food deserts. I, I went down to Third Ward. Um, They had one ATB there when I was going to school, but it was very on Scott. It was like very like Rinkadink. Now they changed it. I forgot what it is now, but it's it's beautified. It's new now, but it's also like it's one of those things where it's like, I'm glad they're putting better grocery stores in places in this community, but also are they doing this better this community, or is it because gentrification is here? We need exactly. to better, and that's what kind of like gets to me. It's like, man, like I, I just wish, I just wish these black and brown communities could ha be given a chance. Yeah, and so much talent, um, so many smart black people in these communities that if given, that never had a chance, that if given mm -hmm. a chance, given the right resources, could really do big things. And and um, I mean honestly, I mean black people do big things with the little that we, we have. have. Just imagine if we had more equity and equal eleven playing field. And so sometimes I don't know, man, like. It breaks my heart. So just, I'm not driving through Third Ward and just seeing it. And I'm not even like a resident of Third Ward for real. You know, that's like I said, it's a third home for me. Exactly. I'm not really born and raised over there. and just. But I have so much love for that community. Just going to school over there for like five, six years. And I consider it like a third home. You know, spent a lot of... Somebody once told me that like where you go to college is where they consider home because where they do a lot of growing up. But I really grew up as a man in third ward area you know so i'm just like damn man that really it really hurt breaks my heart to see what they're doing what gentrification is doing in that community and i really hope things change for the better because that's a historical community man it's a lot of black history in third ward uh, no 100 percent, and i definitely agree with like your sentiments so like i agree 100 percent. and so you know switching gears for a minute uh for anyone that knows you you are yeah. probably single-handedly the biggest future fan I know. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I have to ask you something. Yeah, go ahead. Um, when it comes to future, I mean, his catalog is insane. I mean, you can choose any song, like it's insane. But yeah. I have to ask you on the spot, in no order, yeah. your top five future songs. Nah. I'll give you mine, but I'm gonna wait till you get give me yours. Okay, so there's certain artists where like, like people like Michael Jackson, where <laughs> picking a top five can give you a brain aneurysm for real. <laughs> Take what I say with a grain and salt. Like this is what is just coming to my head right now, but like 
it's hard. You feel me? Yeah, it is. I'm gonna go coding crazy. Okay. <sighs> coding crazy for the gang. Okay. Uh, turn on the lights. Ooh, okay. Turn on the lights. Um, Coding crazy for the game, turn on the lights, okay. This is where my brain starts flicking in and out because it's like, man, this is hard. Um, whew, uh, Never stop. Oh wow! Okay, all right. This is hard. Um, I'm trying to see if I can pick one. Um, that's four. You got one more. Damn, this is hard, and I really want. I, I really want to change some. This is why it's so hard. I hate. I hate asking this question because it's hard. Um, fifth one. Um, I'm gonna go off a song people probably don't know. Uh, double cups and Molly. Double cups and Molly. Okay. That's a deep cut. That's a deep cut. I had, to, I had to pick a deep cut, but like I said, it's hard. Like there's, it's so you got there's so many. You got, you got itching. You got everything's ours. You you know, you know Tony Montana. You know, mm -hmm. it's, it's so much. That's one of them. Like I said, it's him and Mike are like two artists where it's like you can't ask anybody to even pick a top ten. Like it's gonna change every day. Every day. Okay, I'm gonna give you my top five. My five is different from yours too. So number one, I got um. I got my savages. This is in no order. My savages. Number two, I ain't gonna lie, man. When I heard this song, I said, yeah. When I was broke. I, I love that song. I'm sorry, man. I love that song. That was crazy. Uh, number three, I got... I know I know people feel how people... I, so I heard some people feel about this album, but this, that, this song on this album, I'm sorry, bro. I was playing this like it was no man's land. A lot of me... On evil, oh my god, yeah, yeah. that yeah. one is. I'm sorry, that one was crazy. Great one. I want to, I want to put chosen one or somewhere in there, but I, I'm gonna keep it how it is. <laughs> Fourth one, I'm gonna say Codeine crazy. I'm gonna say Codeine crazy. Yeah, he floated on that. One. He floated, man. That's that's a quintessential feature track. And then number five, I'm gonna go with um, hey man, I'm gonna go with cut on my wrist. Call on my wrist, man. But see, that's that's the that's the greatness of future life. Like now that I'm thinking about it, you know, I would take. I'm trying to what like like chosen one. Yeah, a, I know by heart. Like that's the song that's like everything ours is like those are like that's some of future's best rapping. You know, no, he did absolutely. On, um, Digital Dash, his version of Digital Dash, crazy smash Drake. Honestly, you know what I'm saying? Like it just it's so much like man, I don't know like future. I feel like. No, go ahead, bro. I'm saying this right now. Like people may not agree with me, but I, I mean this what I say. Like, Future is top five rappers all time, dead or alive. Now, here's the thing. You know what's crazy? I feel like I've told. Uh, I think. Uh, I think I saw some people have said like we're gonna get to a point, right? Maybe. Maybe. Maybe it's now. Maybe it's kind of now, but not really. But in a couple of years. A lot of people are gonna say Future is on their top five all time, and Roddy I don't Rich. think, huh? Roddy Rich, had, Roddy Rich had did an interview and they had asked who was his influences, and he had said, "Oh, Future and Thug, like th that's his top five all time for him is Future and Thug." And it's a lot of 
young rappers coming up and kids whose future is and you and I want to I want us to understand something. Future is about forty years old. Yeah, you know how crazy it is to be forty years old influencing sixteen year olds as rappers. Like you know how crazy that is to be their influence. Exactly. And there's not a lot of successful forty year old rappers right now. I mean, he's still like rapping at a. Did you hear his verse on Metro's um, uh, Metro's um, uh, album? On Superior, Superior, right? Whoa, he's still rapping at a crazy high level. Yeah, like at a crazy high level. Like that's why sometimes yeah. when people when people be so shut. Like I remember back in the day, you know me, bro. I've been a Future fan. For oh yeah, of course. You were saying Future was one of the best before people even saw him. Before the run, before the run, exactly. Before the run, I've been saying, I literally said, "Hey, this guy, he's him. Like he's he's one of the best." Before the run, and people were looking at me crazy, and I'd be like, "I would tell people like, hey, Future is gonna be one of the best to ever do it." And they're like, "Man, shut up! Like you don't know music. What are you talking about?" And now I look, and them same people are like, "Man, Future's crazy. That run he went on, but Future was him before the run." Yeah, he was him before the run. Honestly, like before the run, bro. And a lot of people don't give Future credit, like. Future is 100% a student of the game. Like, he is hip-hop to the core. Like, he Dungeon came from the family. Dungeon family. Exactly. Yeah, Dungeon family. Like, you don't you don't get more Southern hip-hop than than that other than, like, you know, like, SUC and, like, you know, your 8-Ball and your UGK and them. You know, yeah. Like, you know what I'm saying? So, like, yeah, like, Future is, to me, he is top five dead or alive. And there's... And that- I would even blink if any like it's good. I think it's getting to the point where future is is gonna be in a lot of people's top fives, and if it's not now, but in a couple of years for sure, like we're gonna look at him as like he's gonna be in a lot of people's top three. I'm be real with you, like yeah, him. Like when I think top five dead or alive right now, future, Drake, Jay Z, Kanye before he was wild. went crazy, yeah, and then. This is gonna shock people. I got five tied with Thug and Wayne, and that's to that's me. Fair. That's who I have is like top five all time. Thug is another person that people was like, "Man, what are you talking about?" I remember I used to be a Thug fan. People used to kill me yeah. when I used to be like, "Listen, when I heard Danny Glover, when it used to be called Danny Glover, not yeah. too Danny Glover." Yeah. Like I heard it and I said, "Oh no, nah, this guy." Mm-hmm. Like I heard, I heard Danny Glover, and I was like, okay, he's crazy, but can he do it again? And then I heard Stoner, like, okay, he's crazy, can he do it again? And then I tapped into the mixtape, and I was like, oh, he's he's doing it again, he's crazy. And yeah. then like, what really sold me? I ain't gonna lie, Barter Six. Man, Barter Six. Like, I'm gonna be real. That before that. Rich gang mixtape. Rich gang, yeah. Rich, tripping. Rich gang mixtape. Hey, that man says she gonna look over these bitches like terms and conditions. When I heard that, <laughs> I took my earphones. I was like, hey, you know what? Crown him king. Like he he got it. Like he's he the one. And then when him and Future did a mixtape together, like that, like, a lot of people was kind of slept on that mixtape. I don't know why people was kind of hating on that. Super slimy is like that's super, a bro. Kill before is on that, correct? Yes, it yeah, is. on that. For the game, yeah, on there, two hundred, two hundred is on there. Um, paddock, I think Paddock Water was one. Yeah, Paddock Water. Oh my God! When I first heard Paddock Water, oh my God! Yeah, nah, like people, people, you know, a lot of people. That's one thing that makes me mad about a lot of like quote unquote like rap fans. Like two people to me that I feel like 
they get their respect but don't get their respect is Future and Thug. I feel like, and Drake. I'll say Drake too. But mm-hmm. like, really Future and Thug. Like, Drake, he has a lot of haters, but he's so, he's been doing this for so long as it's like, the hate looks stupid. It looks dumb, like, to even it's hate dumb. Drake. Yeah. But like, Future and like, Thug, people love to like, act like they're not, they're not them. Like, people dismiss, love to dismiss them. Yeah. And I, I, I I hate that. Like the things Future, Future and Thug has done. Like for example, Future love that people love to act like Future and Thug aren't lyricists. They are lyricists in every sense of the word. Like yeah. they are very lyrical rappers. Like there are some Future verses and Thug verses where I hear them and I'm like, nobody else is rapping like this. Yeah, hundred percent. Verse on Superhero is like what? Like yeah. Digital Dash? What? Yeah. Like I'm like nah. Like same thing with Thug. Like there's. Mm-hmm. Come on, we all heard what, what he did to and Drake is my guy. We heard what he did on sacrifice. Sacrifices, oh my god. That come on. We heard like it's like it's like one of the, and like Drake don't really get killed on his John's for real. He don't really get killed on his own songs for real. No. Sacrifice is one of those ones where you gotta say, hey, <laughs> Drake, I ain't gonna lie. Like you, you thug, know what I'm saying? Yeah, Doug watched you, man. And that's yeah, and that's okay. Like, even a verse from future that I really like. That I was like, this man is like rapping, uh, sn- snitching with possible and Quavo. That yeah. what was rapping on it? Rapping, yeah. yeah, like, like Future really can really rap, and so it really makes me mad when people just try to like dumb his music down. And that's another thing, like, okay, the thing that makes me upset about those two is that I will have some really good, crit- not I don't say critique, but like points about their music and people kind of take you like you're joking like for example i had said that there's a point in time future and young thug were the only artists and like i'd say drake whose music were making you feel anything like like future is like there's okay there's a reason why a lot of men really love future and drake specifically and it's because future and drake really know how to tap into emotions that some men don't really know how to convey you see what I'm saying? Okay. And they really want to express that in a way that's like, like music at for, first and foremost, before lyricism, before anything, music is about feeling how it may, how it touches you, how it makes you feel. And Future and Drake are really good. Like, I remember when I first heard Girls of Beyonce, mm-hmm. I had that on repeat for days, for days. When I first heard You Deserve It by Future, yeah, I, got, I went to sleep to that song. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, this like they know how to tap into that, and it's not a lot of artists who really know how to. A lot of artists make empty feeling music, you know. Mm-hmm. Future is really good at like, like he's really like you. No, there's there. I, I have been in the car with people, and I have played throwaway, and they've told me to turn it off because that's crazy. Too much. Like he's he's really like he really knows how to tap into them feelings and really know how to express it, and that's. That is a lost art in music. Like a lot of people don't know how to make music. That's that's what you call timeless. Like when when you can attach an emotion to something and really feel it and really be like, damn, like he's he's talking to me. Like even if you're not like in the trap in the street, like and you can like, nah, but that emotion he's talking about, like he's he's talking to me. That's when you know you will go. And and not a lot of there's not a lot of rappers who can do that. And Future is one of the very few. Him and Drake. So it really it really kills me when people are like kind of dismiss them because it's like there's too much talent there to dismiss it's too much too no, much ab- no absolutely i definitely agree 
So let's just go back to uh, obviously you being from Houston and stuff like that. You've always you're always someone that roots for your city, no matter what. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I think I remember seeing like a tweet. Hey, man, you got the shirt on right now. I think I remember, you know, seeing a tweet from you that's saying you don't ever see yourself leaving Houston. What makes your city so special to you? Oh, man. Um I think what makes this city like the only ever reason I would ever feel myself leaving the city would be to like if I move to Nigeria. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. um, but I feel like what makes this city so special to me is that just in my humble opinion, there's just no city like this city. Um, and I'll break it down. So one, we have some of the best food in the world. Like that's number one. Like that's a fact. It's a fact. And then if anybody wants to argue that, cap. Yeah. Austin is not better. Dallas food, come on. We all know the real about Dallas food. Trash. Um, you feel me? The only other place, and I haven't been there, so the only reason I'm saying this because I've heard this food over there in that city is really good, Chicago. I want to try Chicago. I've been to New York. Food is not holding a candle to Houston. Um, I want, I've been to Cali, but I want to try their Mexican food. I do. I, I have heard their Mexican food is better than Texas, Tex-Mex, so I want to try that. But Houston... To me, is a top three food city in America. You can't find like one. The only other place to me that I feel like has better food, and it doesn't, but it does. And I say why it does. I say why it does. It does because my favorite food is is Cajun food. So no to me, New Orleans is the best food in the world. I love Cajun food. That's my favorite food of all time. So for me, it's better. But the reason why I say it doesn't is because Houston is a lot more diverse. So Houston has more diverse food options from different groups and backgrounds of people. Um, but Houston is a top three. And I, I want to try Chicago. And after I, because I heard so much about it, but after I try Chicago, then I'm going to know. But number one, the food. Number two, man, I can't tell you a, a, a city that has, that has a culture the way Houston's music culture like penetrates into everything. And I say that to say this. When our sports teams win, who is on them floats? Slim Thug, Trader Truth, Lil' mm -hmm. Keith, Paul Wall, Bum B. Bum, they're, all rappers are sports ambassadors for the city. I don't see that in any other city for real, for real. Like, I know they might have, like, a couple. Like, you know, you have your E-40 and the Warriors and, yeah. and you know, things like that. But, like, E-40 is a big rapper. Like, people, he's a national big rapper. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. But Houston is a city where, like, maybe even some of the rappers who may not have had the great commercial longevity that maybe E40 has had are real ambassadors. Like the pokey. Yeah, exactly. Like, real, like, ambassadors for the city to where, I mean, I remember when they were trying to recruit Braun and the, Slim Thug used to recruit players to come play for the Rockets. You see what I'm saying? Like, there's a real culture here where you – you know, when, when these city when, when these teams are doing, you know, their graphics and social media stuff, they're putting slabs in their in their in their um you know uh there's their social media graphics and stuff like that. They're putting tops drop in, in their music and they're using it um in uh, you know all of their you know game game kind of graphics and stuff like that. Like it's the the, the, the music culture is so rich and um the culture that goes around it, the the car culture, 
um, the streetwear, like everything. It's so rich in this city, and it, it's 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 a place that it penetrates everywhere. And I don't see that in a lot of other cities. I'm not. I don't see a. Could be wrong. Like I, said, I could be wrong. I don't live there, but I don't. I I don't see. Like the Lakers having like I don't know like what's their big like YG in a parade like I don't know if I'm seeing that you know what I'm saying I don't Lamar or game yeah or game Dr Dre Ice Cube maybe Snoop Snoop probably the only one I can see doing yeah it. but I hear I, I just went to the Astros parade they had their own floats like you feel me they had their own floats um so I think like just the 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 culture with the with the SUC like. Like, I haven't seen such a, like, that group has influenced so much clothing in this city, um, just music. Businesses. Businesses, like, bro, you can go, and again, like, each city does have their, like, regional hits, and I understand that, but I have been to a lot of different cities. I know I'm from here, but I have not seen the same reaction that people here get. When you drop a classic Houston classic, mm. when you drop top, Drake came and performed at Warehouse Live, showed love to Zero and started rapping Mo City Dawn, cut the music off. The crowd is rapping it word for word to the point Drake has to say, hey, y'all, can y'all, you know, I still got a show to do. Yeah, exactly. You feel me? I, I don't see that happening. Like, you, Drake can come to, to, to Toyota Center or Beyonce can come to NRG. Play mo play the first eight bars of the Mo City Dawn. Mm -hmm. Cut the music off, and people and are still rapping it. Thousands of people will still be rapping it word for word. You you're not seeing that in any other city. I don't care what nobody tells me. You're not seeing that in any other city. So for me, that that's such a speaks to such the rich culture that the creatives have in this city and have influenced them. Like if Screw were alive today to see what his music has just not only done for hip hop. Like how in how much he's influenced the rap game, to just how much he had a stronghold in this city, man. I don't think there's any greater honor than that than just knowing like the city rocked you so much that you are the city's culture. You mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? Um, so that I, that's I don't think there's a culture you can get like that anywhere. I don't care what nobody tells me. There's nowhere else. You're not getting that nowhere else. You know what I'm saying? Um, and I've been in a lot of cities. I know cities have their dances. They have whatever they have, but it's different here. You know it's what I'm saying? Yeah. Very different here. It's, it's, the, the Mavericks aren't playing um, Young Nation, and they're not having <laughs> and they should. Young Nation is what they did for Texas and Dallas is legendary. But unfortunately, the Mavericks, the Rangers, don't have them in, in parades and floats like they should. Yeah. They, they provided a soundtrack for an era for their city. And Houston is, the, is one of the only cities where we acknowledge the culture that these black and brown communities have created for Houston and not only like they could do a lot to where they just capitalize off of it and don't include these, these, the SUC don't include any of these legendary guys. Mm -hmm. These guys are very included in the process of the celebration of the culture that these sports teams, the local politicians allow. You feel me? Yeah. So I, I, I you know, I, I rock with that. You know what I'm saying? So I, that's, that's one. Um, Man, I would say, I just, I just, I love it here. Like, cost of living used to not be that bad. It's getting a little bit up there. Yeah, it, it is. It's getting a little bit up there, but it used to not be too bad. And I just think, I think 
I mean, um, the beautiful people here. I just think, I don't know, man. I just think it just, I, I don't think you get a city where, you know, that has everything like this the way Houston has it. You know, you could say LA has this cool celebrity, but it's so expensive that you can't even buy a home in LA. Nobody owns property in LA unless it's been passed down. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You don't get a city that's so rich in culture, such a great food. That's another thing I'm about to say. I've been to a lot of different other cities, or let me say a few other cities, and I've, I've asked people how it is, especially like transplants. Man, being here, okay, like for example, when I moved from Southeast Houston over here to the suburbs, and I live like in a weird suburb, like it's, it's Sugarland, but it's Houston. Yeah, yeah. Hard to but I live in a weird suburb where it's basically like Houston, Sugarland, but you kind of think like being in a very nice neighborhood that, that this place is, it would be a white neighborhood. I didn't grow up with white people. Yeah, You know what I'm saying? Yeah, me Like, neither. you know, that's another thing. Like, The closest like, people that I had that were white were my teachers, probably. But other than that, all my friends were, you know, black, Hispanic, yeah, um, Asian, all that. Yeah. exactly. Minorities, basically. So, you know how the whole Southwest side is, it's basically immigration central. That's where everybody is, you know, moved to. That's where everybody, when they, you know, get a little, maybe even get a little bit of money, they move out, get some homes out here, whatever, cool. So my neighborhood, we didn't have white people in it until really maybe like middle school. I had three white kids on my bus. The rest of my bus is black um, and Asians. You feel me? And that's who, that's who I mostly grew up with. I went to, I went to other schools that were maybe people from other white neighborhoods or whatever kind of went into, but like my specific neighborhood, I, my next door neighbor is Ghanaian, the neighbor next to him, Asian, the neighbor next to him, black, the neighbor next to him, Asian, the neighbor next to him, Hispanic and Asian, the neighbor next to them, Nigerian, the neighbor next to them, Asian. I live uh, down the street, Nigerian, black, black, you know what I'm saying? Like, I Yeah. don't have like, well, I said to say, like, I'm used to, like, walking out and seeing black people or walking out and seeing Hispanic people. Like, I'm used to not feeling too much of, like, a minority in the room in the city. But when you go to other, I remember going to a place in LaPorte,
or something going on. There's always something or somewhere to be at. And and you go outside and you're you're could be part of people that are 40, 40 that people that are 50. Like there's another thing like Houston will really show you like life don't have to slow down as you age. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, you can really be outside with 40 and 50 year olds. And so yeah. I, I just feel like for me personally, why would I want to leave all of that? Why would I want to leave all of that? Like where's there to go from there? There's not too many cities that can match that. You know, so if I'm going to stay in America, I feel like I, it has to it has to be Houston. Like, I want my kids to be like as I want my kids to to grow up on, like, you know, what I'm saying like Big Mo and stuff like I did. I want them. To yeah. Be, you know, like I want them. No, to 100%. Be, you know, so. So, yeah, like, I don't know. I can't go there. I, I can't imagine myself anywhere else in America. If I were to leave, it it would have to be America, but it, I would have to leave America as a whole. But I don't find myself living in another, another, another city and enjoying it the way I'm enjoying Amen. it. Houston, the greatest city in the world. Just know, guys, you can make it here. You don't have to move to LA to make it. You can make it here. Make it here. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. But that's a fact. Um. So, first of all, you just turned 30 last month, clearly. You know what I'm saying? So, Happy belated. I mean, obviously, I already told you happy birthday, but for those that don't know, he, your man's is 30 years old. But I just wanted to talk to you because I was at your 30th birthday party. Uh, and I remember you were talking, even though you were drunk, but you were talking about how you felt like you weren't supposed to make it at this age. So can you like go into detail as to why you said that? Yeah, man. Um, yeah, so I, I didn't even know I, I really made that speech. I was fried when I did it. You was definitely fried. <laughs> I mean, it's cool. I think it was needed. Um, I think maybe to help other people, you know what I'm saying? I'm trying to do this thing where I'm being willing to be a little bit more vulnerable than I've normally ever been in my life. So I'm cool with sharing it. Um, so, yeah, I never thought I would see 30, man. And 30's not like 30's old or nothing, but I just, for the life of me, I couldn't figure life out. And um, like I said, you know how it is being a firstborn, you're always told you have to have it figured out. And one thing I could never figure out was my quote unquote purpose in life. And I had been asked that question since as early as I can remember. Like, find your purpose, find your purpose. And purpose has always been tied to job. And everyone around me just knew I'm going to be a doctor, I'm going to be a pharmacist, I'm going to do this. And I could never figure it out. And as I age, I just thought I would figure it out. It never came to me. So I just thought, okay, well, maybe because I can't figure it out, maybe, maybe my lifespan is not supposed to be that long. You know what I mean? Um, and then 2020, man. I watched this movie called Soul. Yeah. And by listening, if you've never seen that movie ever a day in your life, man, like go watch that movie. That is the single-handedly most life-changing movie that I've ever seen in my life. Mm. And basically in the movie, um, there's this dude who's a jazz player and his dad was like a popular, famous jazz player. And there was this club he wanted to, do, to go perform in um, with the singer. That was his like life's goal. Mm. And the day... The, the day before he was supposed to go finally do it, he died. And he goes to this place where there's basically like, I guess, quote unquote heaven. It's not necessarily heaven, but heaven. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's they, there's souls that are assigned that are assigned to people and these souls come with predestined uh, purposes. And there's one soul who, like basically in order to go down, you have to have your purpose. And she can not get her purpose. All her, you know, mates and colleagues around here all were able to figure out their purpose. She cannot get it down. So this guy comes to, I guess, to quote unquote heaven, and he's like, hell no, nah. like, I'm not finna die. Like, I was supposed to complete this purpose. This is my life's purpose. I'm going back. Yeah. So him and the soul go back down to earth, and he's trying his best to basically get back into, like, I guess, like, his human body or kind of get back up to go into the thing. And the soul is kind of like, 
you know, moving around, um, kind of separate from him. Like, I guess I'm trying to remember he was trying to find her or he was trying to find his body. But basically, the soul is out and about living life and experiencing and enjoying life. And the guy, the soul ends up having to go back. Then maybe they get like a day to figure it out or something. The soul has to end up going back to the place. The guy ends up getting back into his body. And he goes and he performs at the soul thing. I mean, at the jazz concert, and, and he's dead. He's yeah. like, man, like, I, he, he just thought it was so unfulfilling. And he just thought, that's it. Like, I thought this was what I wanted to do, it's what I wanted to be. And meanwhile, the soul was up in the soul place and just still hadn't figured it out. And he was going through the motions and he's just like, nah, man, this ain't it. She hadn't figured it out. So he goes back and he tells her, like, look, I know what your purpose is. Like, you figured it out. You, your whole time spent on earth. You just enjoyed every moment. You enjoyed life. You weren't tied to this one specific thing you had to do. You just went out there and enjoyed and just lived. And you weren't focused on being great. You weren't focused on doing these great, magnificent things. You were just enjoying the small things, just enjoying life in general. And that movie really spoke to me, man, because for so long, I thought I had to figure out what it was I needed to, to do. What's this big, grand mission that I'm put here to do? Yeah. And that movie really showed me two things. Like one, man, like, you know, we don't have to have this purpose we're tied down to. Like we can really wake up every day and just live life. And there's like a good example of that is my sister. Like my sister is like, she does so many different things. She's pivots into so many different places. Like she doesn't, she's not tied down to this one idea of who she's supposed to be. She can be whatever she wants to be. And, um, and she lives it all. And that's, that's one thing I think. But number two is like, Bro, it's like there's I don't even like using that term, but there's nothing wrong with just being like quote unquote like mediocre. You know what I'm saying? Like you can, <laughs> Hey you man. Know, like, like, you know, I I don't know the better term for it, but like it's just like you know, we have these there's so much like somebody explained it to me how black excellence, the word black excellence is kind of racist. And I Ooh, at first I was, interesting. I was like, how? And they broke it down basically like so like when I went to go get my first corporate America job, I had a racist manager. My dad was like, you got to be twice as good just to be just as good as them. And that's what Black excellence is, is that we have to go out there and perform these amazing feats to be recognized as people. Like, mm -hmm. we have to do these amazing things to show that, hey, like, Black people aren't these stereotypical racist narrative that you've created of us. Yeah. Um, we do great things. But our counterparts, our white counterparts, there is no white excellence. Like one, they've created, they've created, quote unquote, what the standard of quote unquote black excellence is supposed to be. But for them, there is no, and for this, I know this is for multiple reasons why there is no quote unquote white excellence. But I'm saying to say like, there's not this pressure for multiple reasons again to be great. They just get to live, and we're supposed to be black excellence. But black people yeah. deserve to just live too. Yeah, so like we deserve just to to go day by day doing what we just want to do. We don't have to be like, we don't have to be the first to, to DJ on the moon. Like we don't have to, you know, we can just yeah. live just like they get to live. And that's what that movie really showed me is like, man, like, like there's success is so arbitrary, bro. And it's so relative. Like it's, it's what success, like some, somebody that's very severely depressed. If they got out of bed today, that is a successful day for them. Yeah, hundred percent. And you know, and then there's somebody else who 
you know, future, if he gets a platinum hit today, that's success for him. I said to say success is relative. Mm -hmm. it, it's it's what you make of it. It's not real. Like, it's really just whatever you make of it. Like, I know I was watching this Ben Staples thing, and he was just like, uh, uh, he was watching, the, I was watching the Rap Radar podcast. and they Yeah, were, yeah, yeah. And he, he said some real stuff in there, and they were asking about, like, okay, what's next? And he was like, what do you mean? Like, I'm content. Like, I don't, I don't have to have a what's next. Like, I'm, I'm living, bro. Like, I'm, he's like, my living situation has changed from what it used to be. Like, I'm good. I don't have to have a platinum plaque. Like, it came, but I'm not necessarily chasing it. Like, I'm, I'm good at where I'm at. And exactly. I don't know. That movie really showed me a lot, man. That movie really changed my life. And I really, I really, um, really urge everybody to go watch that. And another thing that I would say, like, if you need some extra push, I was watching the Breakfast Club interview with Bow Wow. And Bow Wow got on there, and Charlamagne was like, yo, how you doing? And Bow was like, bro, I'm depressed. And Charlamagne just kind of started laughing. And was like, why are you depressed, bro? You're Bow Wow, you're rich. And he was like, bro, he's like, Charlamagne, I haven't been rich since I was a kid. Like, I've done it all. I've sold out Madison Square Garden how many times. I had the platinum plaques. I didn't flew across the world. I, I didn't been with all types of women. Like, what's next? And what that kind of told me is that, like, when you have this life, to where there's these milestones you have to reach mm -hmm. in a sense of not milestones you want to reach in terms of enjoyment, but milestones you have to reach in terms of what marks success. There's always going to be a what's next. That's what happened with the dude in the movie. He went and finally performed at the jazz club and he was like, damn, that's it. I'm unfulfilled. Like, what do I do? And he just was doing it. He felt like that was his life dream to perform at this jazz club. And then he's there and he's just like, this ain't it. And Vince Staples brought up being content and I think we need to learn how to how to like be content in a sense of like for for lack of better terms to be corny like J. Cole said love yours like for real like, <laughs> hey man yeah you know what I'm saying so that's what that movie really taught me it really taught me like man I don't have to have this one purpose I'm born for I my purpose is to live life no 100% I agree and now we thank you for not only um sharing your story but also spoiling the movie for soul so sorry guys if you want to watch soul now you got it here from chinna dude uh but it's all good it's all good also shout out to vince staples just because uh he's one of my favorite guys i like to watch interviews because he's i mean uh i mean listen rap if you don't like his rap music or if you do like his rap music that notwithstanding i feel like just his interviews like he he gives a realistic yeah. standpoint of just like who he is and what you see is kind of what you get from him so uh he's a very interesting mind and he has some very interesting viewpoints. Yeah, exactly. Um, so Chin, my final question to you, bro, um, is who do you want to give your flowers to? And it could be anybody, and it could be multiple people. Who do you want to give your flowers to right now? The floor is yours. All right. So to piggyback off what I just said, man. I want to get my flower. I know it's corny, but it's really how I feel. I want to get my flowers to whoever's listening to this podcast. Because one, you didn't have to. You know what I'm saying? So just by tapping in, um, just, you know, supporting Dion or if you just wanted to hear me speak or something, like, um, that's dope. But I want to give your flowers to whoever's listening because to piggyback off what I said, it's very easy down on yourself to hate yourself to very to be very like just feel unworthy in the way the the world that we live in this and in the different systems and isms that we live under 
um, can make us feel. Things with like capitalism and perfectionism and all these kind of things, we feel we, it's very easy to not feel good enough. And I want to give whoever's listening to this your flowers and let you know that, like, whatever, like, you know, I always hate the term high value man, high value woman, just because. Oh my God. Bullshit. Jesus. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's bullshit. And I say to say this, like, value is not necessary, real. Like, you are enough. You are valued and valuable because you exist and because you breathe. That's all you need. Like, you don't have to have this um, this comma in your salary. You don't have to have this amount of zeros in your bank account. You don't have to have a crazy investment portfolio. Like, just being you and existing and and um, contributing to the human experience in a positive way, it's enough. That's literally all we need you to do. So uh, whoever listens to that and whoever like just needs to hear that, I want to give you your flowers because I just want you to know that you having a heartbeat, you being a human, you being alive, you existing in this world is enough. And because of that, and it's especially existing in a world that's so hard, you're doing your flowers. So here's here's your flowers. And there you have it, bro. Chinadu Ahalate, thank you so much for joining me. This was a great conversation, man. Like, and I hope a lot of people listen to this and get a lot of insight from who just who you are and what you represent, man. Like, I, you know me, man. I always appreciate you. But before we go, of course, man. Uh, tell the people where they can follow you, man. Yeah, man. Y'all can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Chief Chinadu. That's C H I E F. B I N E D U. Um, yeah. Um, tap in. And there you have it, bro. I'm your host, Dion DeGenti. Thank you guys for listening to Come Get Your Flowers. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at Come Get Your Flowers. And we'll see you guys next time. Peace.